Welcome back to another commodity conversation brought to you by Mercado.com.au. This is the final long-form conversation before the Christmas break. We're going to be talking about the most important driver of farming operations, the weather. We have one of Australia's most prestigious agricultural-focused weather forecasters, Dr. David Stevens from Western Australia, who's going to explain how the weather patterns are impacting on Australia. And it's been pretty bad the last couple of years. And uh, Dr. David Stevens is going to explain how that's occurred and what is happening to the weather bands and how things are changing. First of all, we'd like to give a shout out to our supporter for this podcast. Without our supporters, this podcast wouldn't be possible. And today's sponsor is livestockpricing.com.au. You might have heard Mercado banging on about the importance of transparency in markets from anything from fodder to fertilizer. We think that the easier to find prices, the better. And livestock pricing gives instant access to livestock pricing around the country. And this is especially important when you're selling directly to processors. So you can get access to all the prices at the sale yard, but also the, all the direct to processor pricing on grid. It's worthwhile giving it a shot. It's currently free, so really there's nothing to lose by signing up. Uh, it's at livestockpricing.com.au. The more transparency, the better. So we're just going to jump straight into the conversation. Today we've got uh, Dr. David Stevens, and we're here to have a good chat about the thing that most farmers have on the tip of their tongue and the, the biggest talking point that any farmer will ever have, weather really all they care about for most of the time. So, David, thanks for coming along. Uh, would be good if we could get a bit of an introduction into who you are, what your background is, uh, before we get into the general chat. Okay. Well, I'm the Managing Director of Agrometeorology Australia, and that's a consultancy that I started in the beginning of 2017. Um, <clears throat> I worked previously um, in the Department of Agriculture of Western Australia and the Australian Export Grain Innovation Centre. And really, I was uh, developing um, crop models um, and climate forecasting systems to better predict long-range weather. So I was a research scientist for um, over 25 years um, in that field. And um, in 2017, I went private. So I'm now doing my own forecast for farmers and agribusiness, um, which I start at this time of the year, and I issue ahead for the next 12 months. So it's a service that I provide to a lot of clients right across Southern Australia. So before we go on, I want to clarify as well that uh, you are a scientist, is, is what I what we all know. Because there are a lot of weather forecasters out there who are using a bit of astrology and a bit of numerology and have probably not got the same background as you so we we, we we've seen presentations from you and uh, we know you're the real deal which is which is good so, sure. so you're not an astrologist basically is what I want to confirm <laughs> <laughs> that's right I mean I um, did atmospheric physics at Murdoch University um, so I wanted to be a weather forecaster um, and because my farmer, father was a farmer I was really interested in the long range weather forecasting uh, from the from the go so I did the atmospheric physics, did an honours in um, crop yield forecasting, and then a PhD in crop yield forecasting over large areas in Australia. And one whole chapter of that was long-range weather forecasting. And then I took my crop models and set them up in the Department of Agriculture 
and was working really in crop forecasting. Um, but then in 1997, the biggest El Nino in history developed and no one really predicted it. And um, I've been pointed to some key articles by Harry Van Loon on this work and by another forecaster, Mel Lamond. And uh, so I started researching that, that more seriously and that then started a, a system, a long-range forecasting system that I developed um, in the department and which was funded by the Grains Research and Development Corporation um, in 2003 after the 2002 drought. So, yep, I study research in meteorology. I've gone to just about every meteorology conference um, in the Southern Hemisphere over the last uh, 20 years and um, I've done a lot of research and I've published in meteorological papers and journals. Yeah, the real deal. Yeah. So, and I, I've I've got to say before I before I knew you, David, I used to look at the the maps that you used to put out with the the yield maps. Uh, a lot of them were focused on on Western Australia, if I remember in the past when you were part of the Western Australia department, and they were fantastic. Like they were, they gave yep. a lot of detail on uh, uh, what the potential yields were going to be, and they tended yep. to be you know, from my experience at least, very accurate, which I was I was always impressed by. And uh, no, kudos to you for that. So I've, I've sort of selected a, a few topics that I thought we could we could chat about today, some some that may be considered controversial and, and some not so controversial. Uh, because weather yeah. is, let's be honest, weather is extremely important and it makes a difference between having a profitable business in agriculture and an unprofitable business in agriculture. And we, we, we as a business focus on price forecasting and looking at prices and making decisions around price. But the reality is that to supplement that, things like what the yield is going to be is extremely important. And, and long-range weather forecasting, you know, if we can get that down pat, it's going to be, it's going to be what makes us, you know, like we say with that NFA thing, that's what will drive us to a $100 billion business. So yeah. we, we've had a bit of a conversation offline a few times. So we've had such a bad drought in the last, well, let's say, let's say 24 months. What has caused that drought, David? What, what has the, the big drivers of that drought been? And where possible in, in layman's terms for me, because I'm not a meteorologist. Um, what were the causes? Yeah, so basically we've had um, a, a sequence of uh, cold water around Australia that hung around. And I was at the Southern Hemisphere Meteorology Conference and I was speaking to an oceanographer. Um, he was talking with quite a bit of interest about the fact that the cold water has been persisting off the West Australian coast uh, for two years at that point in time. And that, that cold water has continued for this uh, third year. So that's been a key feature in the sense that it's persisted and it's also uh, persisted north and northwest of Australia, which, our, which is our moisture source region. So that region where the air is evaporating off that warm um, subtropical water, it, there's less evaporation, there's less um, uplifting emotion, which means the atmosphere is more stable um, and we just haven't had the moisture supply to come and feed down into our lower level mid-latitude systems to give us our real rain. And that cold water has also helped the air to, over Australia, to sink more. So the air's been sinking over that colder water um, north of us. So 
increasing subsidence means you've got less rising motion and instability, which drives rainfall. So those two things have um, persisted, and really the key thing is in the upper upper levels of the atmosphere. Um, <clears throat> those stronger highs, the dry surface actually reinforces um, a stronger high pressure in the upper levels, and you know, in the middle of the atmosphere, like 500 hectopascal level. And that's where you, you have your big um, uh, low pressure systems that draw moisture down and encourage, um, you know, storm activity at the lower levels of the atmosphere. So really, those things have all been working together in a negative way. Um, cold water, stronger highs, um, and the surface has been dry, and so the humidity has been lower at various levels in the atmosphere as well. So is those this, things are persistent. Is this yeah. unprecedented, or is this... Is this some at least at least patterns similar to what we've seen back in the millennium droughts or, or previous droughts, or is this something new and unusual? The pattern that we've had. I think the if you go back and study droughts, and I've done that with um, crop model in previous uh, research consultancies that I've done. Um, Queensland um, had a tendency for uh, some longer term droughts to, to be there, so we've seen three and four year droughts. In the Queensland region, which you know, the one that people will remember will be 1991 to 1994, um, we had a lot of uh, negative sudden oscillation index values through that period. And El Nino in 91 and 94, and a very sort of half baked one in 93. So that four year drought was um, very prominent in people's minds, but it didn't really extend as far south uh, as New South Wales. So this time, we've seen uh, the drought really impact further south over that three-year period. So, you know, we've had our lowest crop yields accumulated over three years um, in my crop model that, um, that I can see going back to the beginning of the 1890s. So, yeah, it's quite unprecedented for New South Wales. Um, and, um, you know, I think... What I've seen as well is that since 2000, the variability in crop yields has increased uh, two, threefold um, since 2000 or this century compared to the previous century. And um, really, the surface westerlies are more variable coming from the south. Um, the storm tracks aren't as strong and moving north, and there's a lot less cutoff flows that bring a lot of moisture into northern New South Wales, southern New South Wales. So those things have been working together to sort of see a climate pattern that's a bit different to what we've seen before. Um, so, yeah, the variability has increased in the southern part of Australia um, since 2000, and that's now been expressed in this drought that we're seeing now. And like looking back on some of the emails that you, that you sent out over the last years, you, you sort of predicted quite early on that this was going to be quite a dry year in uh, in Eastern Australia. And that was pretty accurate then, really. And h- how was that possible? What was the big driver, without giving away any of your secrets? Well, I think the key thing is, I mean, I run a, I've developed a model in the, uh, in my research in the Department of Agriculture called my ENSO sequence system. And it um, predicts what the walker circulation is going to be doing along the equator. Um, which is really the El Nino sudden oscillation effect. And really, I'm trying to predict ENSO state, you know, whether it's an El Nino, neutral or La Nina, um, you know, a year out in advance. And um, 
you know, in September last year, I had my model was predicting a Nino type conditions persisting through um, the end of 2018 through 2019. And that pattern has essentially happened. We've had uh, predominant or a lingering high pressure over Darwin. The sudden oscillation index has been negative all through this year. And I also track a broader scale southern oscillation index at uh, four different latitudes, from the mid-latitudes at 30 south, one at 15 south, which is the normal SOI, the equatorial southern oscillation index, and Hawaii pressure. And that broad-scale mean SOI, I call it, has been negative predominantly since um, June 2018. There's only been two months where it was neutral, and that was July 2018 and April 2019, but all the other months have been negative. So that really means that the the high pressure patterns are stronger over the Australian Indonesian region, and that's uh, working against um, low pressures moving up over the Australian continent. So that was the key thing, I suppose, was my ENSO sequence system was predicting that. Um, and, you know, the cold water kept persisting around Australia. So I was, in my system, I'm trying to estimate where things will be, you know, uh, down the track. So the long wave trough pattern that drives the, the westerly flow around Antarctica and the cold front, it was um, basically lining up with a stronger ridge over Australia. So those things, um, you know, were there in my system. And in uh, March this year, I also found two other indicators that really picked up which side of the country the drought would be most severe. And so in early April, I stepped up my forecast for below average rainfall for Eastern Australia. And um, You're a brave man to put a forecast that far out. Yes. Um, It was much more negative than than anyone else. And there was some other people... Other forecasters who were going for a wet year, um, and they weren't. To me, they weren't looking at the the, the factors that drive weather. It's they weren't. They weren't the seeing the forest that, for the trees. Yeah. So, so yeah. I suppose um, I stuck my neck out, and um, and um, I remember people were comparing forecasts, and they said, "Well, you're the most negative," and I said, "Well, this would be the test of the system." So, sort of. Um, Happy with the way my forecasts worked out, but not for my clients. A lot of them are, are very in a very tight situation. So basically, those those things I, I, I look at, um, and um, yeah, you've really got to look at the, the factors that work together to drive your rainfall events and predict down the track where you know the long wave troughs are going to be, where the highs and lows are going to be, and what the ocean temperatures are going to be doing at key points in the globe. So collecting the right data is extremely important, and we, we see that in, in our business, that we have to collect a lot of data from a wide range of sources in order to come up with our forecasts and what, and sources that you know might not be all that obvious to, to the rest of, of the marketplace. So let's, let's move yeah. on a bit. Like I'm, I'm pretty, pretty uh, it's pretty interesting to see how, uh, how you made those uh, forecasts, and Look, we like it when people put their uh, their neck on the lines and they they stand by the forecast, and it, and it was correct. You know, we have had a severely dry uh, you know year, um, probably not so much for us in, in in Ballarat, but 
most of the East Coast has been has been pretty dry. But let's talk a little bit about the bigger picture and climate change. You know, we we've had a number of uh, number of people uh, on the podcast talking about climate change, um, and I thought it would be interesting to ask you as a meteorologist. Uh, you know, what do you think about climate change? Is it real? And uh, what's the impact going to be on on Australia of of climate change if it is real? If the models are right. Yeah, well, I suppose I've been tracking um, trends in uh, rainfall and temperature and climate zones, um, and I've watched it very closely. Um, because I'm a weather forecaster, you have to be aware of the present climate um, to predict Correct. the present climate. And uh, if it's different than the past climate, then you've got to uh, state that and you've got to understand why that's the case. So, and I suppose, I suppose, I suppose key, if you also, if you if something changed drastically then in the and the the background information is different in the past from what it is now, then it changes all your models as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. I suppose um, the key two things that are happening is that um, the ocean and atmosphere are working together to provide more positive summer rainfall conditions um, for much of the continent, particularly the northern part of the country moving down to the south. So what's happening is uh, we're getting a warmer oceans north of Australia in our summer. Um, the continent's got lower pressure over that warmer surface um, to the north of us. So the monsoon low, which sits to the north of the country, um, draws in the moist air off the um, Timor Sea and the Indian Ocean um, and the um, Pacific and the East Coast. And so that's all being enhanced. We're getting lower pressure over the north of Australia and warmer water, and they're both working together to provide more moisture and more rain. And, you know, we're getting a lot of cyclones also crossing the coast northwest of Australia. So the northwest of WA has been getting quite a bit wetter. And there's been a real jump in rainfall in the Kimberleys since 2000. So that's a double positive for summer rain. But in winter, we're getting these um, the subtropical highs are strengthening and moving south, so we're getting stronger high pressures. But they're also pushing up cooler air north of Australia and helping to cool the surface of the water um, northwest of us. So uh, that's been a double negative. So what we're seeing in terms of rainfall is a step down in rainfall. Um, now, in Western Australia, we had a first step down in the mid-70s um, in the May to October rain. Um and that was due to a weaker Indian Ocean trough forming off to the west of Perth. But then we had a second drop down at 2000, and that step down occurred right across the country. So we've had a, you know, a 10, 25 sort of percent drop in that May to October rain, and that's um, yeah, right across southern Australia. It's less pronounced in South Australia, but most pronounced in Western Australia and Victoria. Um, so the summer rain's been steadily going up as you track it in different regions, um, and the winter rain seems to have dropped down onto a new mean, a new um, equilibrium value it's running on. So, I so, so, the so farmers qu- should really be planning in those areas for you know strategies to sort of retain some of that uh, that summer rainfall wherever possible, because that's where a lot of the rain is going to come from from now on, I guess, if we look at the numbers. Yeah, a lot, 
Yeah, a lot of guys have been doing that. So they're spraying out their summer weeds and they're <clears throat> bringing their sowing earlier to try and connect with uh, moisture at depth. Um, and they're sowing their crops deeper into hopefully varieties with longer coleoptiles that can get down to that. And there's a lot of dry sowing going on as well, which means as soon as there's a break, the crops, um, they're, they're off and away. They're acting like a pasture. So, so farmers are pushing, pushing the system as hard as they can to try and utilize that, um, summer rain, summer moisture. Um, and, you know, there's a big effort to get better varieties along the season to, to go with that as well. I suppose the issue in Western Australia is that we've had a, Increased tendency for these cooler springs to bring uh, more frost that's come. So we've had a greater temperature range in um, southwest WA in terms of we're getting warmer temperatures, warmer maximums, but we're also getting these very cold minimums. Um, so that's challenging for the WA growers. Um, it's been less of an issue in eastern Australia, but these are the main drivers that are, are changing. And I suppose the other thing I'm I'm going to be be presenting a, a paper at the Australian Metrological and Oceanographic Society conference in Perth in February on um, the change in climate zones um, since 2000. And what I'm going to show is that both the thermal environment and the winter rainfall environment is shifting um, such that the climate we've seen inland is moving towards the coast more. So when I map thermal time, which is the summation of mean temperatures um, over a, ba- a base temperature of um, 5 degrees, when you add up those mean temperatures, you, you reach a certain number where a crop will mature or a crop will flower. Well, that accumulation of mean temperatures is um, increasing. So what we're finding is that um, thermal environment in the northern wheat belt is moving south. And in the eastern wheat belt of WA, it's moving towards the, the west, and it's the other direction towards the southeast and eastern Australia. So, essentially, what you see is that the thermal environment that was at a town like Meriden um, is now being recorded at Corrigan. Right. And similarly, so it's kind of the dry, rainfall drying from the inside out almost. Sorry, the so it's kind of drying from the inside out. So, you know, it's it's getting drier and expanding towards the coast. Or the climate's changing yeah. from 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 the inside out. Uh, That's right. So the the climate that you'd see in land of a certain location would is now being experienced at that location, and and it just keeps so everything's moving towards the coast. So so you, you so said the, you said, you said Meriden to Corrigan. So that's probably what a hundred k's, two hundred k's. Yeah, it's about one hundred fifty k's. Yeah, one hundred fifty k's. Yeah. So is that, so is the that rainfall, a similar sort of? Uh, a change we're feel, we're experiencing across the whole country, or is it is it variable throughout the, the nation? Well, I think the key thing is that the mean temperatures are generally rising uniformly, um, and the winter rainfall's been decreasing um, pretty similarly across southern Australia. So what it means is that, yeah, uh, in the east coast, the rainfall zones are moving, contracting southward and towards the east coast and the west coast it's contracting more towards the west coast um so so that's important for all our listeners i think that's a very important point for our listeners is to i guess look at where your farm is and look on the map you know 150 k's in in that direction and and see see how your business will be be able to operate with with their climate you know in the future or, or or even now 
that's that's really interesting stuff. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's the key way to to adapt. Is you yeah, you look at the climate away from you in any land location, and that's been the step down that we've seen this century compared to the previous century. Now, the key question, of course, is what's that winter rainfall going to do, um, and will it? Stay on its new mean, um, tracking along fairly, um, you know, it's not trending drier and drier. But even though there's been a three year drought, that's just in the East Coast, that's just one period, you know. Um, but essentially, when you track the rainfall, it's still tracking along on a, on a steady mean since 2000 for most states. So that's the key thing is to keep watching that. Um, and if there is um, a further decrease, and that's going to make it very, very challenging. And some models are project, projecting that for the future. Um, and so we have to keep tracking that on a year-to-year basis, and that's what I do with, in my system every year. Jeez, it's quite scary, really. So here's another one for you, David. I'll put you on the spot here. What's your, uh, what's your, I guess, your forecast, your general forecast for, you know, the next six months or so? Have you got one? Um, yes, I've got uh, paying clients who uh, um, are paying for that. Um, I suppose um, I can talk about my forecast from the end of this year because um, it's um, my season, you know, the last financial year forecast consistent ended but really I mean October I still had a drier outlook um, for, the, for the end of the year um, for October through to December and that's it's being reinforced by this positive Indian Ocean dipole along the equator in the Indian Ocean which I didn't really emphasize much in my previous discussion but it was a part of that's a part of the water circulation along the equator yeah, um, yeah so that's that's what I've got in place for uh, until the end of the year, um, but what I say after that is that's what I've, I'm giving my paying clients um, <laughs> at this point. Tom. I thought I would try and test you on that one, but no, sure. it's been really interesting, David, and a lot of uh, a lot of our listeners are going to be really interested in what you've got to say because, like I said a number of times, that the weather is is the driver. It is the key to agricultural production. We all know that. And getting good quality information, we know there's a lot of people out there. I'm not going to name names that, you know, they aren't. They are providing forecasts which are, you know, back of the cigarette paper type of thing. Uh, probably going to leave it there just now, David. Um, I thought it was really good. I just want to say to any of our any of our listeners who are listening to this that we'll put a link on the bottom of this podcast to to David's website, uh, which is Agro Meteorology, and recommend if you are looking for for good quality forecasts you know specific to to your region and uh, get in touch with him because you know he has got a good track record he has the experience and you know from what he's been saying today we definitely know he's got the knowledge to to back up uh, his forecast so thanks thanks very much uh Dave, for coming along you got anything more to say anything more to add or well, want to give a plug for yourself um, no, if, if, if the farmers go on the website, they can see my track record. I'm just um, up, uploading a new update, which includes my forecast for this year. So there's a historical record going back to 2001, 2007, and then 2016 to 2019 of my published forecast. 
in the Department of Agriculture and my private forecast since um, 2017. So when you look at those February forecasts, you can get a feel for what I was predicting at the beginning of the year and then you can see the accuracy of my system. So you need to look at forecasts over at least a decade to get a feel for the accuracy of the system. Um, and you shouldn't really assess the system just on one year. No, um, because a broken clock can be right twice a day. Yeah, we can't guarantee, uh, you know, we don't have a silver bullet, but we certainly weigh everything up and try and give you the highest success rate we can from all the knowledge we've gained from all our science and uh, modelling work. Yeah, and that's definitely what we agree with as well. Even at Mercado, might surprise some people that we don't get it right every time either. And uh, <laughs> it is just about the robustness of how you get to those those uh, those forecasts and those uh, viewpoints and opinions. You know, yep. if you've got a system in place to get there, or if you're just licking your finger and putting it up in the air and saying it's going to be raining tomorrow, that's two different yep. things. And I think you've got the system in place, you've got the knowledge, and uh, you've got the models. So, no, thanks for thanks for coming along, David. Really enjoyed that. And uh, we'll call it there. Thank you very much, Andrew. I appreciate the time. David has got a wealth of knowledge when it comes to meteorology. We'll put the link to his website on the podcast. You can uh, click on that and you can uh, have a look at what he does. Uh, but very, very interesting conversation. And I learned a lot from that. If you could do us a favor, remember to leave a like uh, on Apple iTunes for this podcast, leave a review, share it with your friends and family. The more people listening, the better. And thank you very much. If I don't speak to you before then, have a good Christmas. Thank you. Bye-bye.